everybody. Welcome back to episode 55 of the Drunk Friend Podcast. As always, we are your hosts. I'm Travis. I go by Ness Friend in, salt, in some, certain circles. Alex over there goes by Sness Drunk. And uh, together, we are Drunk Friend. Um, Alex, how's it going out there, man? You still you looking down the barrel of that laser, that, what is it called, the super scope there? You, you scaring your neighbors with it? No, uh, not at all. Um, I don't actually own a super scope. <gasps> I had to go someplace to what a big phony to get that footage. What a big um, fat phony! My God, <laughs> phony. Um, yes, but uh, I I was able to play a whole bunch of games um, on that thing, and one of them was Metal Combat Falcons Revenge, which is such a '90s ass title. Uh, it is great stuff there <laughs> um and of course you gotta love the not so subtle attempt to maybe hope that uh, certain certain parents will think uh, metal combat uh, what was that game called metal combat mortal mortal mm. metal combat i didn't put that together you gotta you gotta love that um and the game itself is pretty dang cool you know like i said when I talked about Battle Clash, that game was made by Intelligent Systems, the same folks behind games like uh, Advance Wars, which I know you love. Mm-hmm. This game has even more stuff. It's it's just better looking, better sounding. You know, it's a good sequel in that it makes everything uh, from the first game, Battle Clash, that much better. So. Yeah. You good times, yeah. I did. I did not realize that this was a uh, a sequel because you know there's there's it has the same Mike Anderson character in there, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, and and they doubled down with another name, Carol Eugene. Oh, I remember. Yes, that was a fun part of the video. Was it but, uh, Dorothy uh, Gladys? Yeah. Might as well have been her name. Yeah, like Dorothy that. Gladys, which yeah. is actually the name of my grandma's sister. Really, she had two first names. Rest in peace. I mean, that was her middle name, ah. but uh, <laughs> it's just quintessential. And the people in my in my family, on my mom's side especially, have like the most quintessentially old sounding mm. people, you know, names. There's there's Walter. There's uh, Gertrude. Oh, there's a Gertrude. <laughs> now, that's a good one. Oh, yeah. Gert. Good old Gert. Yeah, we're dealing with and, a Sadie uh, over here, a Pauline, a Mabel. That's who I've got over on my oh, side. Oh, Mabel. That's yeah, a good one. That's a good yeah. One, yeah. Good one. Cool stuff, man. Yeah, I mean, that game did look great. I mean, honestly, looked great. And you made a point about that. Like, it seemed like somebody wasted their penmanship on a game that would that could only sell with a peripheral because it, the the graphics in there yeah. were pretty good. They really went hard on the super scope, like way more than I realized. Because um, yeah, you I, you can play the game with a second player with with a controller, but yeah, it's it's only otherwise you you know you got story mode and you can only use. The Super Scope, and the, I'm guessing the reason they did that is like, oh, if you want to play this game, you got to buy the Super Scope, so, and nobody really did, so it was kind of a flop, um, and then you got people like our friend Cooler, like I mentioned last week, where it was like, yeah, he ended up getting a couple of those games, and all he did was just stare at the title screen, because he did not have a Super Scope. <laughs> Poor I mean, guy. I'm so annoyed that uh, not more games utilize the mouse, at least, and that could have applied to a lot of those adventure games, and uh, yeah, man, I mean, it, I'm even curious, I'm not for sure you would know, but does the mouse work on anything but Mario Paint? Is there anything else? Oh, yeah. Was... Tons of stuff. Okay. It, it even works with uh, Wolfenstein. Oh, well, not, okay. Not that it not that it helps that game that much. Uh, you would do not want to play that on. No, but there's other. St- I, I mean, if I remember correctly, it works on Revolution 
X. Oh, that's right. It also works on Tin Star, which I've I've actually played that with the mouse. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. Tin, Tin Star is awesome. T two the arcade game. There's I mean there's a hell of a lot more games than the Super Scope. Super Scope is like twelve. Yeah. But and six, the mouse six is, are mandatory has, though, right? Six you have to have it, or five or six you have to have the Super Scope to play the game, right? Yeah, I, I don't even think it's that many. Oh, okay. I think it's just um, the the two Battle Clash games, Yoshi Safari, and then like Bazooka Blitzkrieg, I think it's called, and I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. And the rest, the rest are you know, yeah, you can you can do other stuff with them. Well, I didn't have a video this week. I've been really busy, what? and I'm really behind on making the damn things. So, uh, yeah, me too. T- took a little bit of a break. I know you got one in at the eleventh hour. You had to send out a tweet that was like, "Sorry, folks, it's still in the oven." Yeah, my my render failed. So, uh, well, uh, that's always fun. Is what it is. I mean, people will wait, but uh, I like to stay on schedule. But yeah, nothing this week. But uh, the next thing that I got coming, I will have a video next week. I have another one ready. But uh, on Sunday, uh, Blink, good old Steve from the Polykill Podcast, will be joining me on round two of our collection showcase. That's going to be on the old Nest Friend YouTube channel at 8 p.m. Eastern. We're going 8 to late, and we're going to show off our Sega video games, and we're doing all of the Sega consoles except for the Pico, because we don't own, we don't own one, you know, so we can't show that one off. But the rest of them we have games for, so we'll be showing all that stuff off. Give the audience a little taste, though. What, what do you, uh, what Sega stuff, what's your favorite Sega thing that you own? Like game-wise or just like console or... Could be anything, yeah. Okay, well, I will say this. I've gotten two new things in the mail that I'm going to show off. One is a white whale, mm. big old white whale for the Saturn that I'm excited to show off. Panzer Dragoon Saga? We don't have to talk about it right now. And um, <laughs> and the other thing is I got a game that was important for me to have, but I got a uh, a cruddy-looking copy for cheap because I because of these pandy prices... I'm a little bit over having a mint copy. I mean, I collect a card only anyway, mm. but I used to be kind of particular about like the art and all that stuff. But now I'm like, you know, take 25 bucks off and carve your face in it. I don't care anymore. As long as the game still works, that's the important part to me because sometimes now I have conversation starters like, hey, you want to see this shitty looking game that I have? It still works. And people, you know, it's fun to talk about it. So imperfections man that's what life's all about but yeah come out on uh, sunday and uh i'll show off all my cruddies and all my white whales and steve will show off all of his stuff and steve actually does have a pico but it doesn't work so he's gonna he's gonna hold it up to the camera but he you know that's that's the extent of that Dang. he's basically just holding up a paperweight but it's still a pico so i mean what are you gonna do about it well that sounds cool then um you know, I, have you been able to play uh, a whole lot lately, or are you getting getting distracted by your nest friend duties, or uh, are you, are you spending a whole lot of time with this stuff with these games? Dude, I am uh, with the collection in general. Uh, oh, that's a good question. Lately, no, not so much. I've got my hand in many a pots. You know, we're doing the. We're doing the drunk friends and the poly kills and got the network going there. I got tails going. Then I got the nest friend stuff. And then I have a job and then I have like a family. So, yeah, game time has been um, and I'm also starting it or I'm doing an improv thing, which is taking up a lot of my time. So, wow. Uh, yeah, my uh, my evenings to play are like one a week. And I, I've been filling those up with the worst games ever. Here's the thing. Why? Here's the thing. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Here's the thing, though. So, like, I'm in the middle of like. I'm I'm near the end of a Pokemon game, right? I I said I would try one this year. We talked to Retro Alley. She inspired me. She gave some pointers. 
I, I went I went after Leaf Green. I'm at the end, but I'm in a pickle because one, I'm not very good at Pokemon. This is my first like serious one. And so I'm out of money and I'm underpowered and uh, we're right there at the end. So I, when I think about playing that game, that just feels like more work. So I'm like, I don't want to play that right now. It's a fucking, it's an uphill climb. The other game I got going on is Ghost of Tsushima. And it's just awesome. Mm. It's fucking yeah. awesome. It's amazing. But sometimes I just don't feel like it. I'm like, it's too intense. I really just want to sit down and I want to play a game, but I don't want to like play that game. I want to be like more in in tune to play. I want to. It's kind of a moment of zen. Like that's when I clear the schedule for. I set up candles. I make sure my wife's out of town. Then we play Ghost of Tsushima. We enjoy ourselves. Candles. I, I, I might have embellished, but <laughs> so when so when nothing else, I just kind of look on the shelf and just find something weird because I'm like, well, I don't want to play it to like with purpose to beat it. I just want to see what the fuck it is. Like, what is Virtual Sea Monkeys on the PlayStation One? Does it have sea monkeys in it? Let's put it in and check it out. So I, you know, looking through demo discs, just weird shit. I just, it's, uh, I just go on these little hunts for, for weird. Well, don't leave us hanging. Does it have sea monkeys? It does. Yeah. They're, they're actually yes. virtual sea monkeys. Yeah. It has a sea monkeys, right? Yes. Right there. Over, uh, 60 mini games in there, too. If you really, if you're really into sea monkey madness, you can, you can have a blast. Am I? But, buddy, I mean, geez. I've just been so busy. But it, I think it's going to lighten up soon. I, I keep saying that with, and there's no evidence that it will, but I just keep saying that. <laughs> and maybe, yeah. maybe it will. Not only is there no evidence, there's no, uh, you know, there, there's no hint of any evidence. There's no. there's no evidence that potential on the way. Uh, I, I, I'm in the same boat where I'm just like so swamped with stuff. It gets kind of kind of crappy. Certain stuff begins to seem like work um, or even like for me, I put off, you know, because I got this footage and I wrote all these reviews like a, a while ago. So now it's just like a simple matter of like, all right, I got to do the edit do that at like four in the morning or something like that like right before i have to i don't know why i'm doing that i think i think what i realized was um with you in particular i always uh you, you always like garnered all this like admiration for like wow man you, you're like way ahead and stuff like that and it's like yeah and then after a while you get kind of sick of approaching it that way so i went in the other direction where i'm almost like a a, a newspaper beat writer <laughs> where i'm writing stuff like right before and then getting everything done at like the nick of time and that's a cool that's fun that's a cool feeling because you really feel like you've you've really made something and it's it's fun interesting you know it's it's stimulating i guess but um yeah i need to get back to um being ahead again because you really risk getting burnt out that much faster when uh you you, you treat it like a newspaper beat writer yeah when your back's um, against the wall man that's yeah I'm, it's fun for a while but after a while it's just like i would like to, you know I, i'm sick of this i'm always worried that if i don't have a little bit of a buffer something will happen and i just can't do it. and then i'll get so far behind that i just like i'm kind of in that boat right now where uh things are so yeah. busy and now i'm starting yeah. to catch up i don't have much of a buffer and if I don't, I don't have time now to build another buffer. So without a buffer and, and no time to build a buffer, then I can't do anything. So then I'm just writing right. out weeks until I can finally, because at that point it seems intimidating. Like, well, if I make one, what's the point of making one if I can't make two or three? And so I, I kind of, maybe it's a, that's a flawed way of thinking, but I like the momentum. And that's another reason too. Like if, if I'm sure if I take a break and then I'm starting back from zero, like I'm going to have a hard time getting going. But if I see that, like, okay. We got we got two in the hopper. We got one. I've kind of, I've already got footage on one. I got a script on one because I, I do it piecemeal. I don't know. Do you do that? I I always have a um, 
I'll, I'll have played a game, maybe played a few games, have footage for like three or four games. I don't write them immediately. I still have the notes. Maybe, maybe during some downtime at work, I'll, I'll write out a script for one and then maybe play another game the next night and then do voiceover the next night. So I'll have like a few at different stages throughout. Oh, yeah. You do it like that too? Oh yeah. Um, and if I don't do it like that, uh, the, I'll I'll go insane because there are huge videos that I'm working on like oh, yeah. Sega Disney games is one uh, English friendly Famicom stuff part two Super Robot Wars I'm just looking at my file folders here the Fire Emblem games the Kunio Kun games uh, Ogre Battle March of the Black Black Queen Sweet Coden uh, Star Trek SNES games like just tons of stuff all over the map and yeah I do like a little bit here a little bit there right I think in I, I'm almost like a fourth of the way through the Sega Disney games one and I haven't even touched that in a few weeks and I need to get really need to get back in on that but um, yeah no if I don't do it that way uh, I'll 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 you know, it's too overwhelming because, like, especially when it comes to like those sports games videos. Uh, how many baseball games were there? I think like thirty six or something like that. Like, <laughs> yeah. and it's you get kind of sick of baseball at a certain point, yeah, believe it or not. I bet it all kind of ru- kind of runs together too. Like for something like that, I bet you're having oh, to write sure. out your ideas almost immediately before you move to the next game it would blur especially soccer oh yeah (laughs) i don't even know what i'm doing in most soccer games but uh (laughs) yeah that was a really tough one and i hate soccer games now because of it no that's not entirely true you got to do it piecemeal i mean especially if you have a process like ours i think some people do one video at a time that's just but they maybe they release one a month or not at a schedule and that's kind of jealous of that i've sort of set this precedent and this expectation for myself that's not really fair to me sometimes but um i think having the momentum is is huge and you've taken some breaks is it has it has it been hard to start again after you have a couple weeks of chilling no not really um really i I just see it it's like what's what's the worst that could happen i write something really crappy or i i'm i'm completely i get everything in the video wrong (laughs) like you know, I don't think that will happen. Wouldn't be the first time. I <laughs> <laughs> got his ass. I got, got his, his ass. ass. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, it, it's just that you, I, I get the, what you're talking about, but at the same, at the certain time, it's just like, I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's just, good. just get it done. Yeah. Just, just sit down and, and see what happens. Get it done. One thing I, I, I like to tell myself though, is let yourself get bored. That is always like the most, uh, one of the most motivating things to get me to write and, and work on stuff. If you just sit, you, you stop making yourself feel guilty for not working and then just do whatever it is you feel like you need to do, whether it's your, you know, you're playing solitaire or uh, that Microsoft pinball game yeah. on, uh, that used to come with Windows XP back in the day. If you're just sitting there playing that and staring at your screen and all that, just let yourself get bored and then you're like, man... Why am I so bored? I need to. Uh, maybe I should work on that thing. That would be interesting. And so, yeah, that's kind of been my motto: is to just get all that crap out of my system, and then you know, start working on stuff. What about you? I'm. I'm. Ex- you let yourself get bored. No, I don't ever. I don't have. This is going to sound like. Listen, listen. It's going to sound like that, but I. I don't ever have time to get bored. I have too many things. Oh. I feel like I have to be doing something, and that, which is why I'll die young. I'll get burnt out. But um. I do get that a little bit, like not necessarily a boredom thing, but I start to miss it. I start to miss the process a little bit. Sure, and then yeah. I, I want to come back. I'm like, it's been a long time since I've done this. I need to go back and do it because it's fun. 
And then I'm reminded about the parts that aren't fun. But that's that's all part of the process. It's all good. I did want to mention, though, because you, you said you wanted to ask me about this. But a, another reason that my nights are now limited is because I've taken up uh, trying out for a local improv group. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm pretty hyped up about it. As people may know, if they've listened to this podcast, uh, I do like to get the yucks. I like to be a funny guy. Uh, it, you know, that comes at the price of sometimes not being funny and having my ego obliterated. But uh, I thought maybe, hey, let's let's take it to the stage in front of people. That way, if my ego is going to be obliterated, people can see my face when it happens. So um, that's <laughs> what I'm doing. And I'm trying out for it. It's been fun. And I'm looking forward to see where it goes. But, uh, yeah, it's just an improv comedy group. They do, uh, like, bar tours, uh, you know, and people pay to see them. And you just act out comedy, yeah. Yeah, What? give me an example of, like, how that would work. Is it really just, like, an and-then kind of thing? Oh, like yes, and kind of a thing? Yeah, that's the, uh, I mean, that's the the cornerstone of improv. But, say, you go to a live one. They have certain games they play. So, you know, if you've seen Who's Line... It's that, yeah, but yeah. with maybe you know more amateurs. You're not getting a Wayne Brady where I live, but um, but the people that I I met the other day are extremely talented. And so what usually happens, they get something from the audience. They'll get like a, a theme or a word, and and um, they'll do what's called long form improv, where they do a series of scenes based around this premise and try to tie it all together. And so that's kind of fun. It's obviously very nerve wracking. I was in one of those games on Monday during practice, and uh, I f- really wanted to just run out into the street because I. My brain kept locking up because it was a lot of new people. It's a new room. I didn't know. But I, I get the premise, and so I know what I'm doing a little bit. It's just a matter of getting comfortable doing it. So um, mm. stuff like that. And then there's other games like, you know, bring a person on stage. It's their birthday. You, you have to make up a song about them and, uh, you know, stuff like that. Or there's a there's a bevy of different games, just just like Who's Line, except, uh, again, people that are local but but still talented. So we'll see how it goes, man. I'm pretty excited. If I get a get a shot to do this, it will be um, sort of a checkbox for me. I've always wanted to do something that involved me performing to a crowd of people, much like podcasting, except I can't see everybody, but something like that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that sounds extremely stressful. Uh, if I knew I had to do something like that, I would not sleep the night before. Uh, <laughs> so you, the fact that you're you're making sure that you're, you're going to be doing this is really cool. Um, cause that's, it's not, not everybody rolls out of bed and, and can be like, yeah, I think I'll try and make up a birthday song to some rando. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Using their right name there on the yeah. spot, using their name. Yeah. Like Jesus, like that is hard. It is. Like, it is hard. I think you would be really surprised at the things you can do with your back against the wall. You like, yeah. you put the pressure on. And that's the thing too, is, is one part of improv is like, don't think about it, just say it. And then at that point it works. I mean, there's probably a ton, tons of things you do throughout the day that you're improving. You know, any conversation with a stranger is technically improv. It's just a matter of being comfortable with it. So we'll see how it goes. I, I'm comfortable doing the improv thing in front of an audience is the part that I haven't uh, come to terms with yet. So I'm sure that I will be just like you would be and not sleep maybe days before. We'll see. <laughs> Practice makes perfect. I think so. so. Yeah. I'm sure you're going to do great. We'll see. We'll see. But uh, yeah, let's jump into some emails then. Because uh, we have a pretty long, girthy, nice, good interview coming up with our pal Pete Door. He was great. Fro- is it frothy? Oh, he was you describe it as frothy. I don't know. That might be too far. But it was. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, man. I could talk to. The, I could have talked to him for another two or three hours, but um, he obviously yeah. he wouldn't let us. He said, "No, guys, I really have to go." So, 
But no, it was fun. So let's get through some of these emails real quick. We got one here from our pal Jono. He says, Good day there, drunk mites. Which uh, I think he is Australian. So hopefully I nailed that for you, Jono. Good day. He says, after popping into Trav's collection stream, well, thanks, Jono, it made me reminisce about my own long-gone collections. After a move, I ended up unemployed for a period and had to make the sacrifice of my collection to keep money flowing. He includes the Game Boy, the SNES, DS, 3DS, N64, GameCube, and games for all of those. He had to let them go. He goes on to say, unfortunately, after a month, after it was all sold, I found permanent employment and then realized that buying everything back was really unattainable. These days, I tend to make do with emulation devices and collections on current consoles. But on a completely different... He just wanted to bring us down. But on a completely different (laughs) topic, what console would you say had the most unanimously bad box art? My money is on the Master System. Have a great day. Jono. So so thanks, Jono. Sorry that you had to lose your collection. I'm sure... Like, if it were me, I know that that's... That would put a lump in the back of my throat because I do take a lot of pride in it. And I love collecting for it. And now, yeah, prices now do make a lot of what I have. Uh, I would never be able to get any of it back. <laughs> so uh, sorry about that. But I'm glad you're still having fun uh, playing the games however you can, as Alex would say. Ugly box art. Dude, I think you nailed it. I can't think of anything more clip art ass than the Master System. Yeah, I don't know how you're going to top that one. I mean, there are bad covers, you know, bad cover art going back to uh, Atari 2600 cartridges and stuff like that. I mean, but not 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 necessarily bad, but just, you know, completely, utterly misleading. (laughs) Yeah. Which I guess is a different different category. I mean, when you've got the master system, you've got Kung Fu with just a cartoon foot. You know, reaching yeah. in to the or whatever that game is called, and it's it just looks bad. Yeah, yeah, you're not topping uh, Master System. I wouldn't even know where where else to look. Like I was trying to think, like, is there anything even close? But yeah, the Master System is just. I mean, what was the point of even having it? They just took graph paper and stapled cutouts on it, and then yeah, that's bold choices to say the least it makes them all feel like they're education games i don't when i see like great basketball <laughs> that's another thing too is the names are ass they have great basketball and great football i think those games aren't great, great baseball great baseball. and then you play it and it's it's basically just a a, a rip of uh rbi baseball yeah. the first one hardly mediocre the same freaking yeah same freaking game yeah so yeah i think yeah. you nailed it man i couldn't even come up with a number two i think every everyone else is tied for second and master system is well ahead it's just awful it's aggressively bad. Okay. Now we have an email here from our friend Pam. Oh, no. And she says, this is this is a correction email. And she starts with, well, actually, oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Dear, hello, drunk friends, even if you if you are even drunk. Hmm. Recently, the Pave Paradise put up a park. Oh, I'm sorry. Pave Paradise put up a parking lot. Song has been getting a lot of criticism on your video game podcast. <laughs> because she <laughs> specifies video game podcast. Calling us out there. That was nice. Yeah. That was a good jab, man. Big time. It is a video game podcast, Pam. Sometimes. <laughs> And I just needed to clear something up. I'm not overly familiar with these adding avians being res- referenced, oh, but I do on. know that this song is actually called Big Yellow Taxi, and it was first written and performed in 1970 by a Canadian singer-songwriter, Joni Mitchell. It's also been covered by Bob Dylan and sampled in Janet Jackson's Got, Got Till It's Gone. I don't think I know that Janet Jackson song, but uh, that's it. Have a great rest of your day. Pam. Oh, man. Well, any thoughts on that? I appreciate that she disrespected the Counting Crows by calling them adding a- avians. I thought that was a fun, 
fun reference there. Uh, I did not know the name of that song. I thought it was just Paved Paradise. So the fact that it's called Big Yellow Taxi makes me hate it more. It somehow made it worse. I don't know how oh, okay, it did that. But okay, okay. It, it, That's fair. I do like Joni Mitchell quite a bit. I think she actually lives here in New Mexico now. Huh. But uh, um, up in Santa Fe, I want to say, maybe. You know what? You know what Santa Fe used to be? It used to be a paradise. And then you know what happened to it? Put up a parking lot. So she's part of the problem. Part of the problem. God, God damn it. Yep. I just lost my train of thought. Sorry. That's on me. What's this Janet Jackson song? Do you know? I, I used to. Janet Jackson was one of those like omnipresent people back in the late 80s, early 90s. And I know a lot of her songs, but I don't know that one. I don't even think that song title is a sentence. I cannot figure out what it's saying. Got till it's gone? Got what yeah. until what is gone? What is going on? I don't understand it. But um, no, I don't know anything about that song. I've never heard Bob Dylan sing it. I will say, though, when she mentioned that Joni Mitchell, Johnny Mitchell, Joni Mitchell, was the original singer-songwriter, I do recall hearing an older version of the song that I think I liked more than their, our adding Avian's version. So I'll, I'll credit <laughs> Pam. I'll say point to Pam. Thank you for the call out. Don't give her too many points. Not too she's many. Already, some points. Not she's already points. Uh, rubbing it in here on our video game podcast. I but, will um, deduct points for that. So she's standing at about two total points out of a possible 10. So, But still points. All right. See, take that. Take that, Pam. Take that. Two points. I don't know. We don't keep we don't keep track of points. Okay. Well, that's it for our, our intro. Let's get ready for, again, I've already said, but it's a pretty girthy interview. We talk about, folks, you're going to love it. We talk about the CDI. We talk about eBay prices and collecting. If you're a collector, you're going to really love this. You're really going to love this. We talk about old school YouTube before Alex. Wow. Does that, does that even exist? Is that possible? Yeah. I can't even imagine a YouTube without SNES drunk, let's be honest. But uh, but yeah, we talked to Pete Dorr. Obviously, if you're a big fan of retro games, you're aware of Pete Dorr. He stops by and chats with us, and it's a lot of fun. I think you're going to like it, so stick around. It's the best time to be a gamer. Every second, there's a brand new indie game released, but there are so many of them it can feel overwhelming. That's where the IndieQuest podcast comes in. We build a list of recommended indie games called The Quest Log and celebrate the obscure titles that you should check out. Available everywhere podcasts are heard and on polymedianetwork.com. Hello, Pete. Thanks for joining us here on the Drunk Friend Podcast. We really appreciate it because you've had such a busy week. I've been keeping track. I've not been keeping track of E3, but I've kept track of some of your coverage of E3 just by notifications on my phone. The only one I've seen is the Nintendo one. I saw that through your stream. So I just wanted to kick this off and ask, you know, what are some highlights for you from this E3? Oh, boy. Well, this was certainly one of the most interesting E3s because, well, we saw how kind of, you know, a little disjointed it was. There wasn't sort of that one channel that we can all go to for E3 itself. Um, so everything was kind of everywhere. The schedule was all over the place. But a lot of people have asked me this so far, and I haven't really picked out uh, a number one, like, game of the show kind of game yet until I review over everything. But in general, I'd say the indie games uh, this year have been absolutely bonkers with how many there are. I don't think I've ever felt this overwhelmed in terms of <laughs> seeing a selection of new games that are coming out and uh, all of them from indie teams and just, I can't even keep track of them all. It's It's got to be at least a hundred games where I was like, yep, I want to play that. Yeah, I want to try <laughs> that. Uh, I don't know if you guys kept up with, with E3 indie coverage, but there were a few shows where it was just non-stop retro style um, even modern style games that just look 
incredible coming within this year. Is there anything that in particular that sticks out in your brain? Well, I have to say, I wasn't I wasn't expecting. So here's the thing: I've been out of a couple of game genres for for quite a while now, um, and one of them in particular are first person shooters. I really haven't played them probably since the Xbox 360 because I've kind of gone back to playing a lot of more retro stuff and kind of moving away from from you know my online competitive days. But I have to say the the gameplay trailer that Microsoft showed for the new Battlefield 2042 game, uh, I never thought I'd feel this way about a first-person shooter again. It just mm. kind of brought me back to the days of MAG on the PlayStation 3 from Zipper Interactive, the creators of uh, SOCOM. I don't know if you guys ever checked out MAG at all, but massive, massive maps with 128 players the new Battlefield's going to have, and it kind of just gave me that... I, I haven't felt this excited about a first-person shooter in about a decade, so it was kind of a nice feeling. That's crazy. So, and that's probably one of those where you have to get it like day one and get in, learn the maps to to be effective against uh, the community. So, is that is that the plan when it comes out? You're going to try to hit the ground running with it. That's what I usually do for online games. Got to get ahead, get ahead of those uh, those little twelve year olds that are going to be practicing all day. You know, can't be getting destroyed by the little kids. Gotta, gotta get ahead you gotta of the up game. your insult game. You gotta you gotta <laughs> call people's mothers things and yeah, you know, all that, that that whole thing. Gotta get in their head. That's right. I mean, yep. I, I would say speaking of of twelve year olds, uh, was watching your going back to some old Pete Door and watching you read the your twelve year old reviews of N sixty four games. And yeah, twelve year olds are harsh. I mean, oh man, what was I thinking? I think I gave Mario sixty four like a. Seven or eight out of ten. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> that was really funny to watch because every single game, it's or not every single game, but I think you reviewed like what 15, 16 games, and I want to say like 13 or 14 of them were seven out of ten. <laughs> seven out of ten. Nothing's perfect. <laughs> yep. So yeah, it's like, was... well, what 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 would have gotten a ten then from uh 12 year old uh Pete Dore? Oh, gee whiz, I don't know what the heck I was thinking back then. Um, I don't even think I gave a game a 10. I'm not sure what I, what I gave anything a 10. It, it probably would have been a 3D platform of some kind, but if it wasn't Mario 64, I don't know. Yeah, well, uh, Glover 64 I, I like or something, think, I have no idea. I, I like to think that you're actually being optimistic by not getting anything a 10, because like you're just waiting for a game to just absolutely destroy all other games and you're saving the 10 for that and who knows it could have been like perfect dark you know that eventually came out uh <laughs> maybe it's a playstation game maybe who knows you know but i i, I like your system uh that was a, that was a really funny idea for a video though that was enjoyable boy let me tell you I, I was going you know speaking of finding old reviews for n64 uh that i did back in the day i actually not too long ago, found receipts for my old eBay sales and purchases from like 2003. Oh. Let me tell you, if oh, you want to be blown away, boy, don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, selling things for prices that would just be the cost of shipping alone today in terms of game consoles and stuff. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. So every, I'd encourage everybody go digging through your old drawers, and you might be surprised what you find in your your filing cabinets. Yeah, I think in that video, and I'm not sure this ever happened, but you you had uh, hinted that you had some old game rankings writings that you had done that you might share. Did you ever end up sharing those in some way? So I haven't gotten around to sharing those yet. However, I did make a bookmark somewhere. I don't know where it was on my tablet, PC, whatever, but I did find a uh, a Wayback Machine link that actually works to go back to the old game ranking site. I don't know if anybody, there's probably a lot of listeners that aren't familiar with game rankings is. Um, so really quickly, back in the early 2000s, it was sort of like the Metacritic of the day. 
where uh, users would submit reviews. It would sort of curate all of the reviews from news outlets and magazines and, and websites, and it had message boards and everything. So it was this big communal gathering point for reviews on games, which has since been shut down, unfortunately. But I used mm-hmm. to um, I, I used to be an administrator for that site, help moderate it and everything, and approve reviews. But I used to do a lot of reviews on there too. And uh, boy, let me tell you, the same deal with the N64 reviews. I, I felt like I was a little. <laughs> A little harsh on some of the things, uh, but I haven't been able to pull it up recently. But yeah, it's just kind of funny thinking about game rankings again. Did you guys ever check that site out? No, I don't think so. Alex, what about you? Wasn't it associated with GameFAQs and that group of of um, I, I I almost want to call it a web ring, but I know that's that's this site came way after it. But I do it does ring a bell, but um. Yeah, so it used to actually be independent. It was run by one person, and that's why they were recruiting anybody Holy that was cow. really... Yeah, it used to be run by one guy. I think his name was Scott... Oh, I don't want to screw up his last name, so I'll just say his name was Scott something. I think it was like a B or a D last name. And he used to run it all by himself, and that's why he was recruiting a lot of people like me. Like At the time, I was maybe 12 or 13 years old, and it's like, wow. you know, I did it for fun. I wasn't paid to do it or anything. I was just very passionate about it. Uh, so he'd recruit anybody that was really willing to help on the back end. And uh, it was a very popular site. And it got so popular that, yeah, it got bought out by GameFAQs, which at the time had also been bought out by uh, GameSpot. So it was sort of GameSpot, like this, yeah. yeah, big absorption into a bigger company. And then eventually it went away because they deemed it you know, not successful enough anymore thanks to Metacritic. Ah, okay. So while you were talking, I looked up um, some of the oldest eBay auctions I can find. I can go back as far as 2006 for me. I bought um, Super Metroid Complete in the Box for $16.15. No. <laughs> uh, what else we got here? I've got, um, I sold a bunch of stuff. I sold a bunch of N64 games. Uh, I sold No Mercy for N64 for $5. That came with the box and book as well. Was that in 2006? This was 2006, wow. November. And yeah, it's the, just the prices then were everything. It seemed like everything was cheap. So yeah, those were the days. If oh, I, I, here's I, Kid, Kid Chameleon for $2.25. Oh my word. <laughs> Too funny. I was going to say, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head because I don't have them within reach, but probably the craziest one that I remember is I sold a Model 2 Sega CD, so like the side-loading one, with a Sega Genesis controllers and hookups. I think bidding, I got like $17 plus shipping, which at the time was probably about $15. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And I don't even remember being that upset about it because back then that's just how crazy (laughs) the prices were. It's not just with games either. Uh, I remember I had um, third edition Magic the Gathering cards, um, like, you know, Shiv and Dragon, Lord of the Pits and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I only played with my my one friend because we tweaked the rules a bit because uh, we thought the game was too slow. So I only played with one other person and then I moved away. Uh, I had nobody else to play with. So I just went to uh, a place called Shinders in Roseville, Minnesota, and they bought my cards for like $11. And oh, those would be worth like a ton now. Like, because uh, they're all third and fourth edition. I think I had a couple Ice Age in there. It was just tons of old stuff. Everything was in great condition. That That's one I really kicked myself over because I really didn't need to sell them. I just was like, well, it's 
might as well give these to someone that, <laughs> that might actually play with them the right way. But yeah, painful times. You give me some PTSD because that's how I got rid of my Pokemon cards back in the day. Oh, I used to only collect. I never played. I had like huge stuffed binder filled with all the original holograms from base set, jungle, fossil, team rocket. And I, I was like, man, because that's in, when I was getting into the thick of things of collecting retro games. And I'm like, well... So long, Pokemon. It's time to buy some more retro games. So I sold everything, had the Charizards, everything. Uh, yeah. Damn. A little hard to let that one down. Yeah, especially when you see guys like uh, Seth Everman actually made wallpaper in his bedroom uh, made up of nothing but Charizard cards. It's, <laughs> it's pretty re- pretty ridiculous. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, I guess in that vein, uh, you know, we were talking about things that we regret selling. Um, and I know for a bit there, you, you've mentioned that you, you might have had a bit of an eBay addiction at some point. I know you've been on eBay before. I probably even knew what the internet was. Do you have any regrettable purchases? Did it go the other way where you're like, ah, oh, too, too much, didn't need that? Oh, that's an interesting question. I don't, you know, that's funny. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that one before. Usually they're like, did you ever have any problems with eBay? But not a purchase I regret. Um, hmm. I would say typically I never regret anything I buy because I'm usually pretty, um, I'm, I'm willing to wait, right? I wait a long time to find the best deals that I can. So I, I'm always, I always feel pretty good about the games that I buy. However, I think it's more so regret of not warning sellers ahead of time how to package stuff. So I originally mm, way back oh. in the day, I bought a huge lot of 3DO games, long box, cardboard box, you know, they're, they're pretty delicate. And I thought to myself, Oh, they'll know how to pack this. There's no way they'd be silly enough to to send these games stacked on top of one another with no padding in the mail. Sure enough, they come in the mail and um, the boxes are just stacked on top of one another. The weight of the games just crush the other boxes. And, you know, I filed a, a case. I was like, listen, this is this is not. And normally I don't do that, but I was kind of upset about it because back then it, it may I think it only cost me three hundred dollars for um, something like 40 or forty five. Uh, complete long box 3D games. Yeah. Now you'll pay $300 just for a single one. You know, it's kind of ridiculous. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, I just remember filing a case and getting a little discount because the person didn't ship it right. So now I look back on it and I'm like, man, I, I just need to warn sellers how to ship things appropriately. And I do think a lot of sellers are getting better with that now, probably because a lot of collectors are uh, letting them know, hey, you know, that you didn't ship this correctly kind of thing. But no, normally, I don't regret anything I buy. I'm usually very happy with my purchase price. Also because I don't get caught up in bidding. I, I tend to do a lot of buy it nows because uh, bidding that that can that can be a little dangerous if you get caught up in the heat of the moment. You know. Yeah, <laughs> I I tend to uh, when I bid I, I bid it and forget it. I I bid my minimum and walk away and just hope somebody fell asleep. And uh, I don't win many things, but when I do win, it's usually for pretty cheap. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with that. Don't get into, uh, don't let your emotions in that, uh, those damn notifications your phone gives you. Like now it like, it'll pulse when it counts down and, oh, it's, it's, oh my uh, goodness, it's really? like gambling or something. Yeah. This is weird. Wait, so you mean when you have a bid on something, it'll start counting down with a notification? Yeah. Or rather it will, um, if it's like within a minute and maybe it's warned me and it's like, Hey, you're, you're about to win this or something like that. Maybe I'll look and see like, am I close? You know, how close are we talking? Uh, if if I'm holding my phone and it's like a minute left and people k- 
keep bidding and the price is going up, my phone buzzes each time a new bid comes in. And so it's like an extra bit of like agitation, like, oh, I need to do something, which is usually just shut my phone and throw it down so that I don't do something stupid. I didn't know that it did that until recently. And I was like, oh, man, I got to stay away from this. That's intense. Yeah. Yeah, it is. (laughs) But yeah, speaking of eBay, because... I mean, I got tons of questions. We could have a part two with Pete just all about eBay. But uh, one of my favorite things that you do on your Twitch channel is your eBay game hunting. I know it's popular. It's been around for a while. Uh, I've explained it to people. And naturally, it's really hard to make that sound exciting. And my wife's walked in on it. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm watching Pete. He's looking at eBay. She's like, you're not looking at eBay. You're watching a guy look at eBay. I'm like, yeah, it's awesome. And so I'm asking you, were you surprised at how much people enjoyed that? I mean, I, I will say I'm, I'm definitely kind of blown away by it because I, I originally conceived the idea, I think it was like something like six or seven years ago on YouTube. I'm like, let's just, I don't know, look at eBay and kind of just have fun seeing listings in real time and commenting on them. And the idea to start streaming them was uh, like four or five years ago. And, you know, it started off pretty, pretty popular, but it just kept growing over time. And the, the one thing that just really continues to to surprise me is how many um, how many new people are always coming in to just hang out for that and go to sleep. A lot of people use my eBay streams to sleep, and I totally relate <laughs> to that. I take no offense <laughs> to that because I use Twitch streams to sleep myself, and uh, you know it's it's a pretty chill atmosphere. So I have absolutely no problem knowing that twenty five percent of my audience are there for me to help you know talk them <laughs> to sleep. <laughs> I've gotten that too from a couple people um, that are like, yeah, I just put on your playlist of like 800 videos and just leave it on all day. And I'm like, God, that must be annoying to hear my voice all day. Like nobody, nobody wants that. Well, apparently some people do want that. But um, yeah, Bob Ross is another, is a guy on Twitch I have on all the time. I sleep to to his happy little voice uh, myself. So I get that. It's just, it's a weird thing to... Uh to explain to people who aren't collectors, I guess, or aren't in the know. And, and you have a lot of knowledge about eBay and just what what prices are. I always have to like look at a lot, kind of itemize it, go to three different websites, do math. But you're pretty good at right there telling the audience, like, yeah, you should you should jump on that if you want it kind of thing. And, and it's very helpful. I, I really like it. So uh, good job, good idea. And uh, I'm going to hit on one more collecting topic here before maybe we talk a little bit more about YouTube stuff, but speaking of collecting, this we've, we've kind of hit on prices a little bit and how, how good they were back in the old days. Um, three presidents ago, prices were great. But the <laughs> recent surge in prices have hit a lot of collectors, such as myself, where it hurts. And so you've, you've had some videos recently where you're predicting future prices of games, but maybe generally speaking, do you expect the uh, the prices that we're seeing today to, to dip back down? Maybe not to what they were before, but at least uh, less than they are now? Or is this just the new norm? So, yeah, I get asked this question a lot, and it's it's really hard to know, right? So recently, I have been seeing a lot of games trending down in price, which is which is good. However, in general, I think this is it. I, I don't think we're going to see this big bubble pop that people are thinking is going to happen, right? Because as pe- ki- people keep getting older, even if people have to start selling their games, there's always going to be that new generation to come in that just, uh, you know, got their first job, their first checks, they're coming in to blow all their money. I, I think this, there's never going to be a, an end to the amount of people that are jumping into the collecting scene or just retro games in general to want to be throwing their money at these games. So will, will prices come down? 
I think they they will because they sort of have already in, in a lot of ways. Uh, whether or not that's affected by the pandemic starting to recover and people you know getting back to work and not having time to sit on the computer and shop all the time. Um, but I think they're going to keep trending up, especially when it comes to console exclusives, anything Nintendo when it comes to exclusive platformers, RPGs, and stuff like that. I mean, that's just there's no there's no shot horror games horror games are off the mm, charts uh yeah. those they're, they're never going to come back down and that's why it's important that people look into alternatives you know that's why it's really good why people are getting their hands on like nes and super nintendo minis and modding them to put whatever games they want on there because it's getting to the point where the barrier to entry to collect is just getting too ridiculous and it's going to come down to the point where most people are just going to have to pick a few of their their little gems that they remember from their childhood and own copies of those and probably have to look to other means to play everything else yeah it's uh it's unfortunate but i think uh, i think you're right and I too have seen some prices turn down a little bit, maybe stabilize some, which is encouraging. But uh, yeah, those those horror games are, are as good as gone, in my opinion. If I don't already own it, there's a good chance I won't at this point. But uh, we'll have to see. Yeah, what I don't get is that even when stuff gets reissued, you know, like we've got Earthbound now that's available on the SNES Mini. Um, and I'm pretty sure that Nintendo, if they wanted to, they could easily sell like, oh, I would, I guess it would be called a mother package. <laughs> a package of mothers um for uh all three mother games for mother one two and three uh with earthbound in the middle there but the still the cartridge is like 350 400 bucks like just the cartridge and yeah at that point it's just pretty much just become a status symbol it's like i own this you know like that's you know it's it's i i always refer to the scene in uh the angry video game nerds video where he uh gets both where he he's daydreaming about what he would do if he got both uh world nintendo championships cartridges and his fantasy is just like putting the games on the shelf standing back and crossing your arms and nodding your head and just being like there they are looks great (laughs) it's like that's it it's like is that is that really it though like i mean is it really worth it i don't know uh not for me to say i guess but i just think it's strange to me that even a game like earthbound still close to 400 bucks for the cartridge and my only explanation for that is that it's a status symbol what do you what's your opinion of that pete actually that's that's a very interesting take that i I hadn't really thought about too much before and because to to your previous point where you know a game can get re-released Sometimes it actually drives the price of the game up. Some people would be like, oh, they're coming out with a digital version of such and such game or a remaster or something. The original price goes up on the game. And the only thing I can think of for that is that people just, uh, I don't know, they, they, they are reminded of a game that they played in their childhood and they're just very nostalgic to have the original copy that was brought to the limelight because of the, the new version. Um, and that's driving that up. But, uh, the the status symbol part of this i think is is actually pretty accurate because if you think about it who who in the world is spending first of all collectors most hardcore collectors that would drop $400 on a game they they're probably going to want that complete in the box right there's there's different types of collectors but that's a lot of money for a cartridge so to me that's saying it, it's got to be somebody that is just putting it on a shelf like you said because how the heck would you not want to just download one that's on the eShop or buy the new HD version or something that they just released or something that's on the Super Nintendo Mini? Right. I mean, I can't imagine that playing it on an actual Super Nintendo would be worth four hundred dollars. 
it, it has to be that bragging right for the background of a YouTube video. It has to be. Yeah, right. Yeah, there you go. And you're you're spot on. The uh, SNES Mini came out in September of 2017. At that point, I'm going by uh, GameValueNow.com. Um, it shows uh, eBay auctions for Earthbound. Uh, loose average price was 170 bucks. So it has more than doubled since it got released on the SNES Mini, which is pretty stupid but hey it's their money (laughs) and just to derail a little bit here but something that i i like to remind people of is just how scary it is getting to collect cart only because you know there's so many fakes floating around right now and it's getting dangerously scary how accurate these label creators are getting with uh printing labels and boxes and manuals it's getting to the point where it's nearly indistinguishable so if you're buying this stuff on ebay and they don't show you the inside of the cart and show you the board you can get burnt and i don't think ebay is willing to help you because they don't have game experts working there to look and say oh yep that's a reproduction so it's it's very scary and that's why i've been recommending to a lot of people now to look for carts that have little billy's name signed in on it with black magic marker look for the rental stickers you know look for the wear that's hard to replicate and go with those because at least you know if you're going to be spending that money you're at least going to get something authentic right exactly yeah. and, that's a good point um, actually and, and that's one thing i look for i'm i'm a card only collector um i never got into the complete in box because i think when i started collecting it that i already saw that as a price barrier so i never got started with it thankfully so i didn't have to feel like i needed to keep it going but yeah i do look for blemishes i know a lot of the complete in box folk they don't like uh they don't like when when little janice writes her name in, in sharpie across the back or Kevin carves his name into it. What, what, Kevin? What are you doing carving your name into the cartridge? But it's always Kevin. It's too, always a Kevin, <laughs> and it's always like he doesn't have any like round letters, so it's easy to carve it in, you know, all caps. But um, wow, that's some deep analysis. I have. Wow, that I, I never thought about that. I, I'm yeah. going to keep that in the back of my head for the next eBay stream we come across with Kevin. Yeah. It's, so I do. I have a couple of Kevin's cartridges actually, and um, that's the thing though. And now I look for maybe a little fold on the corner of the. Of the label, you know, label art. I mean, an an imperfection to me just shows me that it's a 35-year-old piece of technology, and that's what I'm trying to buy. So I'm okay with with a little ding here and there. I'm going to have limits, but but yeah, I think that's a good point. Is the the imperfections now are really what legitimizes a lot of these things when you're buying them online. And I know a lot of people over the the years of collecting have been very resistant and pushing back against you know uh, price stickers i used to get a lot of people leaving comments on my videos like oh how do you still have GameSpot or GameSpot gamestop stickers on your games and i'm like well first of all i'm a little lazy to try and remove them uh, <laughs> and second of all i kind of sometimes like looking back at these games and seeing what i paid so you know i, I pick up a ps1 rpg and i'm like wow I bought this for $7.99 back in like 2003 or something. And now the game is worth 150 Like there's something cool about that. So now I specifically, you know, uh, never remove stickers from my games. I keep them all on there. And I've been telling people, you know, look for games that come from Blockbuster or come from Hollywood Video or a rental store or like a mom and pop game store and specifically seek those out because first of all, most people, collectors right now, they're not really looking too much for, for rental style games, uh, but you save money. It adds a little bit of personality and history to the game, and uh, if you can get them in good enough condition, you know, why not? Uh, it's it's. I think it's going to eventually come to the point where people are going to start looking for stuff like that because the reproductions are going to get so out of hand. Yeah, that and uh, those things you mentioned, rental stores and maybe one day GameStop will no longer exist, and uh, then it'll just kind of be neat to have... Have those represented right there on your games. One of one of the craziest things I ever saw for sale on eBay was somebody selling a price, just a price sticker, 
you know, a, an unused price sticker on the, the, the price sticker sheet for Kuon on the PlayStation 2. And I think the, the pre-owned price was $7.99 and the game now goes for like $700. But I think they were actually selling that price sticker for something like $74.99. Just the <laughs> price sticker. Wow. So there might be a market for this stuff. Just saying. Jeez. Oh my gosh. <laughs> when the, when the price stickers start costing more than I'm willing to pay for games, I know that, uh, I know that I'm in trouble. Um, okay, so to switch gears here, we talked a lot about collecting. We got that I got that out of my system. That was that was my big thing. I wanted to jump in a little bit, go go get in the time travel machine once again, but this time focus more on your YouTube stuff because you've been doing this YouTube thing for quite a few years now. Your oldest video is 14 years old. I mean, it's about to enter high school. You've always been consistent. You're always to the point. No flair, no frills, no elongated intros, no gags, anything like that. Do you see that as a part of your style or your brand, for lack of a better term? So I've never actually thought of it that way. It's just kind of always been the way that I did things. Um, I have, for the for the time that I've been on YouTube, I, I started my account in 2006. I didn't really start uploading video. I uploaded a few videos in 2006, but I didn't really start until 2008. And in all those years, out of the hundreds of videos, I have never once uh, said to subscribe to my channel or, you know, do any any such thing like that. So it's always sort of been this part of my channel where it's the games first, me last. Uh, I, I have still, to this day, don't do really bumpers or, or end scenes. It's always just me talking, you know, a little brief intro, but I, I usually just jump in and I, that's why I find it kind of startling because there was a time where I did take a long time off from, from YouTube. I was busy with other life things and streaming pursuits. And, you know, I, I had a time where I didn't really upload too many videos in a, in a two year, three year span. And I came back and all of a sudden people are talking about ringing bells and hitting notifications. And <laughs> I'm like, what the heck is going on? I, I, I honestly was kind of taken aback by it because I wasn't keeping up with YouTube too much. Um, and even now, I don't think I fully understand what the heck is going on with bell notifications, to be honest with you. So <laughs> I'm like, well, if people want to follow my channel, they, they'll, they'll find a way to do it. I'm not going to pester, not going to nag. And from what I understand now, analytics back then, back when I was really in the thick of things, that stuff didn't exist. You know, if, uh, analytics now are apparently so important that if people are leaving your video at the start, it's apparently going to like prevent people from even seeing it to begin with. So I make it a point. To not waste any time in the beginning, I also make sure that I immediately remove ads from the start of my videos because YouTube, if you leave it to them, oh my, like you'll be sitting there in the first five minutes watching 10 ads. So uh, I, I make it a point to make my videos as, you know, easy to watch as possible, at least for the, the beginning part of it. Yeah, Twitch is getting real bad with that too. I only, I, all I'm watching on Twitch for the most part are, are like maybe like five or six channels. One of them's Mystery Science Theater 3000. And just in the past couple weeks or so, it's like add one of seven. And I'm like, you gotta be freaking kidding me. Like, oh, it's <laughs> all I terrible. did was click on the stream and I just want to see what episode they're on. And I have to wait like four or five minutes just you know go make a sandwich or something and then come back and the most egregious thing is what twitch is starting to do now is you'll be in the middle of watching somebody stream so let's say you're watching mystery science theater and it's you know getting to the end of one of the movies they're showing twitch 
for certain streamers, a lot of the bigger streamers, not like mid-tier, low-tier yet, thankfully, will just randomly start playing ads without the streamer having any say in the matter. So, uh, yeah, it's it's getting pretty bad. Luckily, I haven't been affected by that yet, but uh, it's, it's running a little rampant, and I think it's going to continue to since Twitch doesn't really have any true streaming competitors yet. I mean, Mixer's gone. YouTube, in the eyes of a lot of people, is still kind of catching up to Twitch in terms of what it can offer but yeah ads are uh ads are getting a little out of hand yeah for sure and that i was going to ask we've touched on it a little bit but maybe what are some things about those olden days of of making youtube videos uh do you miss i mean i'm sure you don't miss having a 10 minute limit but boy those were the days yeah it, it seemed like youtube had a had a tighter community around uh certain topics especially like retro gaming and uh, alex has spoken about this before where he first started like around 2013 and it seemed to um seemed a, a bit different community-wise, but YouTube stopped, I guess, uh, supporting or endorsing the community atmosphere and really just wanted everything to, to grow for ad sake and money sake. But, you know, in, including that or outside of that, are, are there some things about old old school YouTube that you miss or um, wish could come back? Yeah, so 2013 when you jumped on, then that was like the end of the golden era, I'd say. Uh, back in the day... All, and, and I truly mean this, when somebody new popped up on the scene and started making videos, we all went to that channel to say hello, check out their collection. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I went back just a, a day or two ago just to make sure I had my history correct, and I looked at an old YouTube video. It was a collector. His name was XXMoney3DXX, and if, you know, <laughs> if any listeners know who that is... You are an old school YouTuber because that's actually one of the he, predating me. Even he was doing like collection style, showing his collection off kind of videos. And I looked at his, the first video he ever did showing his game room. It was just a brief like five minute video, and there are comments on there from me, Happy Console Gamer, Alpha Omega Sin, uh, you know, just all of us kind of we dogpiled into those videos left positive comments, and everybody knew one another. It didn't matter how big you were, yeah. how small you were. It was a communal effort. Um, you know, we had forms set up message boards where we can communicate outside of YouTube and a lot of the features that kind of promoted being involved in a community, like leaving video replies, which was one of the most popular things yes. to do back then with, with retro channels. And I, I remember Jason, when you guys had Jason Heine on your podcast, he talked about this as well. Uh, video replies were integral to developing communities, you know, asking a question, I say like, Hey, what's your favorite RPG on the Super Nintendo? And then everybody would make a video reply. And it was this great interaction between all the other content, you know, video creators, and they've stripped all of that away. Uh, these days, it just seems a lot more distant. Uh, creators don't really tend to act, interact too much anymore with with comments, and it's it's become a more individual kind of pursuit thing. And back in the day, it was more of a group effort, and that's probably the thing I miss the most. Is just you know, me really feeling like you were meeting the other collectors just through their videos, and even the functionality of um, video replies. Uh, I remember certain folks would do like trivia. Um, they would just, you know, just like run, uh, a, you know, a five minute video showing off like random games from all over the spectrum. And you would do a video reply of yourself watching it and seeing if you could guess the answers. And then there would be a follow up video like posting the scores and stuff like that. It was super fun. And now you can't really do that anymore, which is. Yeah, that, that seems like an advance. Like, see, when I was still kind of checking those out, it, it, I don't think it had evolved to that form yet. The most I can remember is they 
people do like choose your own adventure style, right? So like, Ooh, that sounds fun too. Yeah. Imagine an adventure game where they're like, all right, do you want to go in this door or that door? And then you click on the choice and, uh, the way that they did the video replies because they'd reply to their own video and yeah, they'd play it out like an adventure game and very creative stuff all gone. Now I have no idea why YouTube removed it. Um, but you know, not, not to be like all negative on YouTube. It's still, it's still an awesome place to upload videos and everything, but it, that's one of the main reasons that drove me away from YouTube more towards the streaming side is because I felt like the, uh, the interaction with viewers was much more stronger in a streaming sense. And back when I made the move, there was no such thing as streaming on YouTube. So there was, there was no choice. Uh, Cause I started on the Justin TV days. I was streaming back at the start of 2009. Oh, wow. I haven't even thought about that in a million years. Justin TV. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's a throwback. Yeah. And back then they were, hardly anybody streaming games on justin tv that's why originally my name on justin uh and twitch was pete's game room because i wanted to let people know that i streamed games because a lot of people on there were just like sleeping life streams like watching people in their house talk shows <laughs> like you know one person talk shows not a lot of people were streaming games and it was it was actually pretty technical to set up streams back then uh but yeah pioneering days of live streaming back then it was the wild west awesome that is awesome. Yeah. I mean, you're early. I would say, you know, you, you, there was maybe a, a wave ahead of you for YouTube, but you're, you're considered an early uh, YouTuber when it comes to video game collecting and box or unboxings. You pioneered uh, streaming on uh, Justin TV and, and Twitch. I mean, what's next, man? I need to buy stock in whatever Pete's getting into because it uh, seems it always take off. Oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> I always try and innovate and think of new ideas, but uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see what comes, but... I mean, it is important for people to understand too, right? Like the birth of collecting channels on YouTube, uh, the earliest that they started to appear was 2008, 2009. I was more towards the, you know, the beginning spectrum of it. There were a few people that predated me, but their videos were very, um, uh, it was sort of like a panning shot, right? They'll just show their collection. They didn't really talk about the games they showed. So I, I helped set this precedent because instead of just showing it I, I like to talk about everything I showed so it really started to catch on with a lot of young people too I get a lot of messages from people that I can't tell you how many messages I get lately from people that were like oh I watched you when I was 11 or 12 and now I'm grown up and married with kids and I'm like wow so I because oh back then God. we did we didn't have the analytics to see ages of our viewers and I had no idea that such young kids were, were watching me back then and I was helping to inspire uh, a whole new generation to want to start getting into collecting games because back then in 2009, 2008, it was unheard of really for somebody to sit in front of their collection and show games. As hard as that may be to believe, it was sort of um, very, very early days of the sort of vlog style pickups videos that are prevalent on YouTube now and I kind of came in at the right time. You know, if I came along now and started doing exactly what I was doing back then, I'd probably struggle to get 10 subscribers in a month. But because I kind of hit my stride in like the peak point where nobody was really doing that content back then, and I happened to have a pretty, pretty decent collection, it kind of just snowballed from there. And uh, yeah, I've always been very grateful for the time when I came in. No doubt. Struck when the iron was, uh, didn't know it was hot, but it was. That's always good. What inspired you to sit down in front of a camera and start that channel back then? I mean, I know you, I think I've watched an interview with you in <clears throat> uh, Happy Console Gamer where you, maybe you had um, seen some stuff he had done and that inspired you. But in terms of showing off the collection piece, I mean, was it just the uh, just being eager to show off what you had? So 
not entirely. I mean, I had always tried to find a voice because I always wanted to talk about games and my like my impressions of them. What I, what was I playing? Essentially, kind of thing. So in in the past, before I started doing YouTube, I tried a lot of different avenues. Uh, I I originally found out that I was a collector thanks to the site Digital Press. Back before Digital Press was really known for being the store that they are now, a uh, very prevalent retro game store in in New Jersey, and they have another location I can't remember, but um. They had a form. Digital Press back in the day was like the pinnacle for retro game collectors. That's where I found people that had pictures of their game rooms. And when I found that site and saw pictures of other people's game rooms, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not the only person that's holding on to all my weird like Atari Jaguar games and my 32X (laughs) games. There's other people out there that do this. And it really inspired me to get on there and talk with other collectors. And, you know, I tried doing my own solo podcasts back in like 2006, 2007. I sat down by myself and I would talk by myself for like an hour and a half, two hours just about the games I was playing and memories of old games that that I had played in the past. And I even tried making newsletters where I'd like print out, uh, you know, homemade style articles, writing reviews and kind of throwing that together and being like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to ship this out to people and charge them like a buck or two an issue, which never really came to fruition. You know, the game rankings thing reviewing. So I always had this desire to get my voice heard essentially on the games I was playing. And that was the next natural step was to, to try YouTube. My videos back in 2006, the first video I ever did was reviewing Nuon or uh, Tempest 3000 on the, the Nuon. <laughs> right? Very obscure, very obscure console. And, you know, it didn't, back then YouTube wasn't really, uh, too, too easy to, to grow as a person talking about games because we didn't really have the technology, right? I took like my Xbox 360 webcam and pointed it at my TV to get the, oh, the no. footage. So it was, <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. So once 2008 kind of came along and I was able to use a capture card and start to record footage in a little bit better quality, I'm like, all right, let's try this again. Uh, you know, first video coming back, I was talking about Wii RPGs and showing some footage and I was happy with that. I was like, wow, I can finally start just talking about games in in a way that is easily accessible by a lot of people and just one from there yeah i i went back actually today honestly 30 minutes before we hit record and was looking at some of your oldest videos and that that we rpg video 480p has has uh not aged well (laughs) (laughs) but uh it's just a sign of the times i think it's really fascinating i mean you're um You've been around for so long. What would uh, the guy in that video, in that We RPG video, that Pete? What would he think about Pete now, with his his big following on YouTube and how the YouTube channel turned out? I mean, you you couldn't have expected that it would blossom into what it is. No, I would have. I would have never imagined it grew to what it was. But you know, I've always been very humble, and I, I still don't really think all these years later that it's really hit me, right? Like, I, I realize now that a vast majority of my audience, they're they're gone, they don't watch YouTube anymore, you know, it's it's pretty obvious, right? Because there's a lot of dead subs- people that subscribed to me, you know, 12, 13 years ago, most of them are not still around, I realize that, right? But it's still kind of hard for me to even fathom that this many people watch my stuff, right? Like, I look at my videos, and even if a video now gets... 10,000, 20,000, whatever views, I, I still, like, it doesn't even compute to me that that many people have watched the video, or uh, I, I honestly, I think the thing that put it into perspective for me the most is seeing your audience in person, right? So when it's virtual and you see the views in the comments, it doesn't really feel... Uh, 
I don't know what the right word would be. It's 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 sort of like almost not real, you know, in a sense. The the thing that put it into perspective for me is when I used to go to conventions with Algen gamers and we did panels, or I'd go and do a solo panel, and seeing your audience sitting in front of you, like looking at you eye to eye, even if the audience is just a small fraction of your viewer or listener base, it's like whoa, this is trippy, this is surreal. Uh, very taken aback by it, and it, and it really helps bring it home. It's like whoa. Um, you know, th- I'm so grateful for the audience that I've always had, and I-, I don't look at myself any differently now. If I did, I wouldn't still be sitting there on a webcam with poor video quality, just talking about games, right? I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd try and ramp it up a little bit to try and compete with the the clickbaity kind of stuff that has to go on on YouTube these days to get views. So, yeah, I still do it for passion, and honestly, that's kind of what what drove me back to YouTube recently because I had been on one of my hiatuses, and uh, the thing that brought me back is I felt a strong, really burning desire to talk about a certain game, and that is Balan Wonderworlds, which recently came out from yeah. uh, Creator of Sonic. I'm sure you guys know. Yes. Yep. Uh, and now he wants to retire because of the criticism of that game. But, you know, I, I had played the game without reading any reviews, and I had a lot of fun with it. And then as I'm streaming this game, I have people coming in. They're like, oh, this game's trash. How can you play it? It's like, oh, my goodness. what? How? Just nothing but negativity, for, you know, viewers that we're just coming into my stream just to bash the game, not not actual viewers to my stream for the from the past. Mm-hmm, and I'm like, right. what the what the heck is going on right now? So I'm like, that's it. I got to get back on YouTube. I got to talk about this game. You know, a lot of people say, oh, Pete's a contrarian because he always likes to just you know have the opposite opinion. But I'm like, nope. That's what drives me. If there's a game that I I feel very passionate about, it's enough to rise me from my grave and get me back on YouTube. And that's what's kind of fueled <laughs> my recent comeback to youtube is that that battle wonderworld video getting that out there you know having to say what i had to say about the game and the wave of positivity kind of has has refueled my passion for creating videos again even if it's a little cool. bit of a different format yeah sometimes you really do need to uh, uh articulate in a way like this is why i feel the way that i do about this game and it, it, it really does feel like something's got to come out of you you really you <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like it's like a defensive mechanism or like a defensive response, but that's kind of how I feel about uh, certain stuff, albeit it's like mostly Super Nintendo crap that people forgot about 30 years ago. But um, I do like the process of like, okay, why do I like this game? Why don't I like this game? I like understanding why I do or don't like something. It sounds like you're kind of wired the same way, and that's a good example there of... Uh, yeah, I, I, I need to, uh, figure out like, or I need, I need a way to explain why I like this game. And, and yeah, that game got crapped on pretty badly and I, I'm not sure I understand why I haven't played it much, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, <laughs> I know what you're talking about though, with yeah. the wave of, uh, negativity, it's, it's, it's never fun getting the brunt end of that. It's pretty, it's always a strange thing when you, when you like a, a game that no, everybody likes to make fun of and, I don't think I've run into that myself, so that's pretty interesting that that that's what you hit on. But you would you recommend that game then to to just anybody that's into like three D platformers and that sort of stuff? As long as you don't play it on the Switch, the Switch version has a lot of performance issues. Yikes. But I would, I would. It's actually coming down in price a lot, so I I wouldn't have recommended that game strongly when it came out because it was expensive, right? Not it's not for everybody. But now that it's coming down in price quite drastically, I would say pick it up on the Xbox or the PS4 if you can. Um, the the thing is, the reason why that game is getting such negativity, and it's something that I noticed with a lot of other games, because 
are you know as collectors and gamers there and the rise of influencers a lot of people now play games vicariously through their favorite content creator so when they see somebody that they follow on twitch or youtube play the game and have fun you know making fun of it and hating on the game they themselves think they have played it and because they've watched somebody play it or like an edited video of the worst of moments they feel like that game is bad even though i have not played it and i have no plans to so everybody sort of rides the wave of their favorite influencers and yeah. what their influence is over that game and it's it's it just drives the game into more negativity cuz yeah no, it's communal it. for better or for worse yeah. yeah bandwagoners and and that kind of thing yeah i mean on the flip side and one thing i like about your channel and i'm glad i am glad that you came back i know people are always like man i wish pete would come back to youtube and i i don't want to put pressure on you but it has been great to see more pete videos um but i do like the way you can express sort of you know, if you like this, you'll like that. Uh, if you're into this type of genre, maybe stay away from this game. Like you're very, you know, informational about the types of games that you talk about. And you're not always talking about like, you're not always talking about the AAA stuff that everybody knows about. And uh, that's what I really like. You can go through a stack of PS2 games and explain just about all of them. And I'm like, okay, I want to play that one. Okay, based on what Pete said, I don't want to play that one. And uh, I find that incredibly useful. And so... I wanted to ask you, because I know you like Dark Cloud, and I know you liked it a little bit more than Dark Cloud 2, but I think you're you're in favor of both. I'm a huge fan. I've obviously played the Zeldas, but uh, are there any other games you would recommend to someone who really, really enjoys those games and realizes that level 5 is never going to give us a third Dark Cloud? Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, they probably they probably aren't, because there is some kind of, like, there's some legal stuff going on with that. I forget what it is exactly, but yeah, mm. we're probably not going to get another one of those. So Dark Cloud kind of falls into this weird... I still think there's no game quite like Dark Cloud out there. Uh, you know, third person. Uh, back in the day, it was called a Zelda killer, which it totally had nothing almost to do with Zelda back then. <laughs> right. Weird marketing. He just had a green uh, hat. <laughs> the, the funny thing about Dark Cloud is back when that game came out, there were hardly any roguelike games on consoles. So when I say roguelike, in this case, it means, you know, you're going into dungeons. They're randomized completely. The items you find are randomized. You get random weapons. You know, like the roguelikes are kind of today. Uh, back then, there was almost nothing like that, which is what made Dark Cloud so unique. And now they're like a dime a dozen, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to, to to find a game back around the time of Dark Cloud that kind of felt like it. Um so I do think those are kind of unique in and of themselves. I would I would say I'm sure there's a lot of new stuff out there now. I would say maybe try um Have you have you ever tried the White Knight Chronicles games? No, I've not. Yeah, so they're PS3 exclusives and they are a game from level 5 and they do borrow a couple of elements from Dark Cloud in terms of the uh well, the online actually used to have a town building aspect to it, ah. uh, which obviously you can't really access anymore. But it, it sort of has that similar level 5 kind of feel in terms of the sort of weighted but basic combat. It's, it's, a weird, it's a weird one to recommend alongside Dark Cloud, but oh, man, I have to tell you, that's a really hard one to try and find something comparative to it. And I'm sure there's listeners that are like, oh, what about this game? What about that game? But it, they're so unique to themselves and i haven't played a lot of the newer stuff that would fall into that genre now so um yeah that's a bit of a tough one dark cloud it's it's a one of a kind i agree yeah i mean i I get some act razor in your life trav oh i played act razor i've played soul blazer i mean those are your 16-bit uh 
relatives there because you got a little bit of talent building. It's action RPG, but uh, I was looking for uh, just anything anything Pete could recommend. I've not played these this White Knight Chronicles, so uh, if it's if it's somewhat easy to track down, I'm I'm scared to death to go on eBay to look at anything right now. But I'll look at this one. <laughs> Don't worry, it's cheap. If you actually get White Knight Chronicles two, it comes with the first game, so you get two games in one. It's not there too bad. Go. Yeah, I mean, let me tell you though, White Knight Chronicles was made for online play. It does have a story mode. It's a little, little hard to get into, but, you know, I figured because it's also from level five, it had some aspects similar to, to Dark Cloud back then. Uh, not amazing games, but yeah, there's, there's really nothing else out there quite like Dark Cloud. Well, I appreciate that. And I think we have, I have one more question before we, we have one listener question we wanted to get to, and then we won't keep you any longer if that's all right. Sure. So speed running. And this is something that Alex was excited to talk to you about because we, you know, when somebody's a speedrunner, we like to go to speedrun.com, see what they've been into. And your list of games is wacky. I mean, you got you got Easter Bunny's <laughs> Big Day. There's it's a- the most bizarre list of games I think I you could you can't go out and pick <laughs> more weird games than that. You got Lassie. Oh, you yeah. got uh, yeah, you got uh, yeah, Ir- uh, irritating, irritating stick. stick. Oh, yeah. yeah, what is that? So yeah. I actually, yeah, that is one of my favorite speedruns. Um, I actually traveled across the country to go play that in person for Games Done Quick, actually. Uh, it is a game that I recommend strongly to everybody. Uh, so it's based on a Japanese game show, and you have to forgive me, I don't remember the name because it is an extremely long name. But it's this ja- Japanese game show where the contestants would hold a stick. It's sort of like Operation, and they'd move the stick through like an obstacle course holding their arm out. And if they touched any of the metal poles or anything, like through the obstacle course, it would like zap them and they would, you know, <laughs> they, w- they would lose. So they made a video game adaptation of that. There's actually a version on the N64 uh, that never came out here. And then yeah. they ported they ported it or converted it. I don't, I don't know the story, but there is a version on the PlayStation 1 that did come out in the US and they called it Irritating Stick and that's the concept. You move a pole, but essentially when you watch the game, it's a dot because you're viewing it from a top-down perspective through an obstacle course and if you touch anything, it zaps, it explodes, you have to start the course over. It has a very arcadey uh, game show kind of feel to it. You know, have you, you have an announcer that's just screaming at you. They're like, watch out. Don't go too fast. Or, you know, what were they thinking? So it's got <laughs> this really fun atmosphere, but it also preys on your nerves. So if you make one little slip up, you're gonna, you're gonna blow up and explode. It's an extremely difficult game to get into, but once you get into it, you're not gonna be able to put it down. It's, uh, it's a, one of my highest recommendations if you're looking for something different on PS1. See, that's not what I expected. Okay. I expected you to yeah, be like, yeah, I just play the weirdest stuff. And uh, that happened to be a weird one. But I didn't expect to come out of here with a good recommendation. That actually does sound fun. I want to get drunk and try it, actually. See that? <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that for that game. You. you won't make it past level one. But see, that's the thing with the games I choose. I, I always have a meaning to, to speedrun a game. Like, I don't pick something just because it's... It's just some random game, right? There's always a reason that I pick a game to, to speed run it. Um, and another one that I'd actually recommend that is sort of like you'd look at it and you'd be like, what the heck? That That's supposed to be terrible. But the Flintstones Bedrock Bowling, it is another PlayStation 1 game. Uh, a game that is supposed to be one of the worst games of all time. But what I actually did with this game was I, I involved the community. I made it a community effort. So I did a speed run. I was like, wow, this actually works really well. It's it's a bowling game in a non-traditional sense. It's sort of like you're, you're going down a linear... Um, adventure board like so it's not like you're bowling and you're hitting pins and that's it it's almost like an auto scroller where you're dodging obstacles and like going through an actual video game level but you're 
in a rock bowling uh, ball and hmm. hitting pins occasionally throughout the course. So you kind of it's like a racing game almost, a glorified racing game. But I was like, wow, this works really well. It's short. You can beat it in under ten minutes. So what I did was I involved my community. I got a whole bunch of people from my community involved. I'm like, listen, this game's super cheap. It's ten bucks. Pick it up. And a ton of people picked it up and speed ran it. Even people that had never speed ran a game before were picking it up and doing it and having a lot of fun. So we had this huge effort to get a whole bunch of people involved and have com- a competitive, you know, leaderboard going for it. And we had a blast doing that, you know, poking jabs at one another, like, ah, I just beat your time. And I really encourage anybody out there, uh, YouTube, Twitch, anybody that's listening, if you can ever involve your community in taking a game that nobody knows about and speed running it all together as, as one all together at the same time, it is so much fun. That's uh, awesome. I'd, I'd always highly recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. I see you've got the, you have the number one time for Lucien's quest for 3DO. We mentioned 3DO earlier. That's one of the few games that I remember being actually pretty dang good on that system so that's cool there, there i mean that's just goes to show like the breadth of stuff that uh you you've taken on here what is scv <laughs> you got star speeder and kung fu road on the scv platform i'm not even uh, sure what that is so that is the um the super cassette vision <laughs> That's a Japanese console that only came out in Japan, and it's got a whole exclusive library of cute, really cute little Japanese import games that are super bright, super colorful. Uh, if I remember right, it was put out by Epoch, and it's it's a pretty obscure console. Uh, not gonna lie, it's it's not an easy one to track down. The games aren't easy to get, but yeah, there's there's. Uh, I'd encourage you to go check out some YouTube videos of that. It's yeah. It, it, it might it, it might drive you over the edge to pick one up with some of the games in the library, but I kind of I kind of got in on that one before the price is starting getting crazy. So, so Trav, if you had to pick out one game on this list here that you need to ask Pete about, what, what uh, what's what's your go to? Because I, I have to ask about Lassie. I, I don't know what's going on there. You know, Lassie uh, sticks it, out to me too, to be honest, because I I I think that is that um, even in the U.S. PS2 library, or is that it, it looks like yet. it's just Europe. Okay, maybe yeah, that's why I hadn't heard of it. But I was like, what? Yeah. what? So I don't know anything about it. So what can you tell us about Lassie? Why is that one interesting? So because I like to sit down a lot of times and just kind of pick out janky, weird, exclusive games. Um, I, I picked up Lassie on a whim because I looked at that cover and I was like, insta-buy. I don't even need to see gameplay <laughs> yes, of this. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a really... It's a, it's a cute little kid's game with cel-shaded graphics, and I do have something for cel-shading. But when I played it originally... Here's the thing, right? A lot of people are like, why does Pete play such bad games? They always look at the games I play and they're like, why, why does he do this? <laughs> you know, why does he play games like Bubsy 3D? But to me, it's not always about the game. It's about the experience that I have while playing it. So typically when I play these kind of games, right, I'm always streaming them. So when I play a game like Lassie, I have a blast, right? I'm laughing with the community. We're, 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 we're joking about the game. Like, it's the kind of game where if you sat there playing it by yourself you'd be miserable, right? But you play it in a community atmosphere and suddenly it evolves into this giant laughable, uh, you know, meme essentially. And after I went through it, I'm like, you know what? You can beat the game in like 20 minutes. I'm like, I want to get, you know, my time's worth out of this. We had a lot of fun with it. Let's just, let's just speed run it for the fun of it. And my speed runs aren't, you know, it's a misconception about speedruns. When people think you speedrun a game, they think, oh, he's committed hundreds of hours to it, right? No, a speed run, <laughs> a, a speed run to me can be, an evening with a game, right? A day or two where you just sit there and you play it for five or six hours straight. You get 
way more playtime out of your games, right? This is why I recommend speedrunning to any of your listeners out there. If you are going through a time right now where you're kind of feeling burnt out on games, you're finding it hard to play new games or retro games, anything, you're just kind of just in that slump. Try speedrunning, but don't commit to it on a level that you think speedrunning needs that sort of commitment. Spend a night, just sit down with it for a few hours and just try and get the best time that you can. And not only will you find that you'll get so much more time out of your, out of your games, you know, a game that, say, you'd normally beat in 15 minutes, you're now getting hours of entertainment out simply because you're running a timer. And then what you can do is you can take, you, you record your progress, what you do, you take that, you upload it to speedrun.com, and you can say, wow, look at that. I'm third on the leaderboard, I'm fifth on the leaderboard. You know, maybe you're not even competitive, but it's just a nice way to get a little bit of extra time out of the games that you're buying, especially with the prices that they are now. I'm sure there's a lot of people. You've spent $50, $60 on some retro cart, retro game, and you're like, wow, that was fun, but I beat it in 30 minutes. Speedrun it. I'm telling you, you'll have a blast with it. It's not for everybody, but uh, you don't have to be some big expert. You can do it just for the fun of it. I like that. There's uh, there's a lot of games on my shelf I'm staring down that I'm like, spend a little <laughs> too much for you, maybe a dollar per minute. Let's uh, Maybe we'll go through it fast and see if we can... If I ever see my name on speedrun.com, though, that'd be great. I, people would think I'd flip I'm telling head. you. <laughs> give, give it a try. Give it a try. You'll, you'll be very surprised. You don't even have to pick a game that you're... It doesn't even have to be your favorite game of all time. Sometimes taking a game that you played and you were like, eh, that game was okay, suddenly you start speedrunning it and you're like, wow, this, this is so much more fun as a speedrun. Maybe the best kind of speedruns, and this kind of relates back to like Lucian's Quest on the 3DO. At the time, nobody had speedrun that game, and I love the process of routing a speedrun. I love sitting down, taking notes, trying to find out what saves time, and being the first person to get a speedrun done for a game, even if it's trounced you know, a, a year later by somebody that demolishes my time. The fact that I set that bar and did the initial routing, that is the most uh, satisfying thing for me when it comes to speedrunning, is, is finding the initial game-breaking stuff. That's awesome. So, uh, Alex, are you going to be speedrunning in your future? Well, I was going to say either speedrunning or just like doing 100% on a game. Like, for example, like Mario World is a game that I've played a gazillion times. Yeah, I, I do totally hear that where it comes to uh, if you get burnt out on stuff, find a new way to approach it. And for a lot of folks, it can be speedrunning. Uh, I like doing stuff like, yeah, I'm going to get all the dragon coins in Mario World. I'm going to see if I can beat the game without using any of the uh, exclamation point boxes, the switch boxes, mm -hmm. and uh, see how far I can get, see how many levels I can complete doing that. So, yeah, just keep looking for new new ways to approach things. As it's, I can totally get behind that for sure. Cool, mm -hmm. cool. Okay, this listener says, uh, this is from Steve, a.k.a. Blinkum, who I think you know through... Who the uh, heck is Steve? <laughs> <laughs> who's my co-host on Polykill, and I think uh, he oh, he reached out to you to, to see if you'd be interested in the show. You guys both uh, enjoy Eco, both speedrun Eco. So, uh, Steve here, a.k.a. Blinkum, says, Howdy, fellas. Uh, lately, I've been really enjoying the process of digging deep into libraries with uh, various consoles of handhelds to find the fun games that are off the beaten path. And I'm not even specifically referring to hidden gems in the great game you've never heard of context either, but just things that are interesting to me for some reason. Games that might be quite flawed, but have a solid mechanic, games with great music, or games that are just fun enough for a stream's worth of entertainment. So I'm wondering, what libraries do you find the most fun in exploring and discovering these types of games for? And he, he says, outside of the uh, Super Nintendo and... Uh, NES because that's that's mine and Alex's uh, mainstay. So I guess outside of those two consoles, they can be retro or modern. Doesn't matter to me. So 
Are, are there any uh, catalogs for systems that you just love plumbing the depths of because of all of the interesting things you keep finding in there? Absolutely. Uh, the first one that comes to mind for me is by far the CDI library. Uh, I got into the CDI about five years ago or so. I, I It's a console I wanted for a long time, and I, I always had my eye on it, but it was always a little bit of a high barrier to entry with the price of the consoles, and I just kept putting it off, but I eventually got into it and I, I pretty much just went on a, a buying spree. This is thankfully back when CDI games, people could still barely give them away. Nobody wanted them. And I just researched every game that was was worth a damn. Essentially, just anything that looked like it could be considered a video game, <laughs> no matter how weird it was, I'd buy it. Right? Most of the games wouldn't cost you more than $10, $20. So I was buying imports that were only released in, say, like the Netherlands, for example. Right? Like I was getting in really deep. And I streamed those games and... It, it is true, right? A lot of these games are not amazing, but there's just something very fun about kind of discovering this weird, obscure library of games that you feel like uh, has really not been explored too much beyond the typical like Hotel Mario's and, and Zelda games that are on there. Right. And even if a game is really boring, it's still very fascinating to see a, a library for a console that is sort of like seemingly going to be obscure for the rest of your existence so it's like i might as well check these out because no one no one else is going to be covering these games and there's kind of something very fascinating about that right like i i found a game called like pyramid adventure or something like that it, it was a game that uh was meant to teach kids about the food pyramid but it was also sort of like they blended in a little bit of a 2d platformer in with it in puzzle games and there was no coverage of this game on the internet i looked everywhere no youtube videos barely any screenshots i picked it up i streamed it and it was this like fun unearthing discovery moment with me and my community kind of it, it felt amazing right kind of being able to essentially play a game in front of people for the first time that this game had ever been shown to my knowledge and i that's always what I find most interesting um, with with libraries like the CDI or the other one that immediately came to mind for me was the Japanese import library for, say, the PlayStation 1 or the PlayStation 2. There's just so many games that have zero information or videos on the internet, including like Japanese video sites like Nico Nico. And going through those, and even if you can't make it too far, just from like a historical perspective, it's kind of neat to see games that otherwise would be unknown. The CDI is uh, that's a frontier for me that I've I've yet to explore mainly because I don't have a CDI. But uh, you always just hear about the Zelda games. I mean, the angry video game nerd has has made those a well known commodity. But outside of that, I probably couldn't name a CDI game. So I think that's pretty interesting. So it, it, yeah, the only ga- game that I can remember is Laser Lords. Have you played that? Oh yeah, it's like yeah, a, that's that's a cult classic on the CDI. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, like a point and click adventure game. Uh, the type where you uh, select, you got like a big menu of actions underneath everything. But it was just so dang weird. Uh, there's like dudes that are super wasted on drugs. And <laughs> there's, I, I believe there's prostitution in that game as well. Uh, good times all around. <laughs> but um, it's a weird time. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's got some weird dialogue in that game for sure. I yeah, mean, very, very strange game. But um, for example, yeah. just just to go on that point. You know, games that people don't realize that are even on the CDI. There's a first-person shooter on the CDI, right? Mm-hmm. Just to kind of give you an idea of what the heck is out there on that thing. You would never expect it, right? But there is a full-fledged sort of like Doom Wolfenstein-style first-person shooter on the CDI. So just to kind of like 
give people an idea of sometimes if you dig hard enough, you can find some really unexpected stuff on consoles you wouldn't be expecting. Hmm. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, it, ma- it makes us feel like a modern archaeologist, you know? Like, I'm not digging up dinosaurs, but, <laughs> but I kind of am. And uh, I think that's interesting. Actually, there is, a, there is a game on the CDI about digging up dinosaurs, <laughs> by the way. It's called Zombie Dinos from Outer Space, so check it out. On that name alone, Ooh. I would own that game. That is amazing. Yep. Alex, do you have, uh, I know you're not as big into the collecting, but I, I think we've talked about how you have some, some strong curiosities about uh, certain libraries and, and stuff like that. Are, are there any that stick, uh, stick out to you? Yeah, just the original Game Boy. Um, there's so many. I, I love what I love most about the Game Boy itself is that it tries so hard to um, get the most out of its hardware. Um, like there's somebody tried making a Populous port on Game Boy, which <laughs> yeah, it's, it kind of sucks. But I cannot help but admire the heck out of that because it's just so jank and. Um, it's like you know what? Good for them. They tried. Yeah, <laughs> um, I love that kind of stuff because there's no way, there's no reason that should work, but it kind of does. You get what they're going for. They even have like the isometric viewpoint, uh, which is just so impressive. But at the same time, the game is such a mess and it's kind of a disaster. But still, I, I really love that kind of stuff. Plus, Game Boy Color uh, has games that um, people from my Patreon have been really nice enough to point out to me. Like one is called Survival Kids. Mm-hmm. Just pretty much just a survival adventure game where you get dumped onto an island and you got to find stuff, figure out what it's used for, uh, you know, explore, see other, you know, see if you can find other things. You go around killing lizards and salamanders and stuff. And it's really interesting. And it's surprisingly deep for a Game Boy Color game, too. Oh. So if, if yeah. you like that, it's considered the spiritual predecessor to the Lost and Blue series on the DS. I don't know yes. if you're familiar with that. I think yeah, it's so actually I think that's actually the same series, like technically right. speaking. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have heard of those. I have not been able to I think those are on Wii, aren't they? There's one on Wii that's shipwrecked. That's supposed to be the worst in the series. I've never played mm. it, but the, the DS ones, especially the first one, love love that series. It's a right on great game. Yeah, yeah. DS, all, all the Nintendo uh, like handheld stuff is something I'd really like to dive into a bit more. Um, even the, even the Game Boy Advance, which has tons of Super Nintendo ports that are just not good, like um, Contra Advance. That's it, you just have way too much going on on such a tiny little screen. It's like impossible to play. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's yeah it's Nintendo handheld stuff. What about you, Trav? What, what where are you? What direction are you headed in? I think lately, for some reason, I've been having a PS One Renaissance because I think for many years, you know, after I got my PS Two, I just kind of looked at the PS One like, blah. Look, there's only like eight polygons, and uh, there's only like two good games on it that are you know. In my immature eyes, you know, I was like, there's Symphony of the Night, which is which is playable because it's 2D. You know, I was very uppity about it. Uh, but lately, I've been kind of going back through and I've uh, been like, damn, there's some good stuff on here. Um, stuff that I've completely forgotten about that existed and uh, stuff that I didn't know existed. And we had some fun on the Discord. I, I downloaded this app that has cover art because it's it's for collectors. It's the retro collecting retro collector app or whatever and um it's nice because it has all the covers for all the games released in north america and it's it's a good way for me to track things and i was just flipping through there and i was like what the, what the hell is this what is this so i was like i'm gonna start posting these in the discord and see if anyone's heard of these and it was kind of a fun game to just drop a random game cover and there and be like anybody heard of this because i think you have something similar in your discord pete but it's more like uh 
just like snippets of cover art and people guess what uh, what game they're looking at. But I was just showing the whole thing. Like, has anybody heard of A-Train on the PS1? And people were like, no, what the hell is that? So I just keep finding all these oddities and, and some look completely dumb and I want to play them and some look fun and I want to play them. So um, I'm going through a rediscovery period of the PS1 library, which is surprisingly vast. Treasure trove of of complete gems in there honestly like i know people throw that term around a lot but thankfully the ps1 still has a ton of really really cheap games that are just amazing and won't cost you an arm and a leg yeah uh, metal jesus's lawyers going straight to voicemail again <laughs> yep, yep. can't say yeah, hidden gems right here all, always <laughs> on my ass jeez yeah when we get him on here we'll have to get his lawyers talk to our lawyers and then we'll settle it but uh, until then we gotta live yeah, in fear settlement in the in the works yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up. Pete, thanks so much for giving us your time. And, and um, man, you're, you you know so much about games. It'd be great to have you back on again at some other point. But uh, until then, we'll just settle for some streams. And hopefully that YouTube video or YouTube channel keeps churning out videos because that's always fun. So thanks again, man. I've really appreciated this. Yeah, thank you. It was a, it was a blast. Uh, thanks for having me on. It was nice talking to you guys. I, I always love gushing about the things I'm passionate about. So I really appreciate the opportunity. everyone that's been another drunk friend podcast as always you can reach out to us with questions or comments at drunkfriendpodcast at gmail.com we love hearing from you unless it's pam giving us a well actually that hurts our feelings but please do send emails uh, we need to build up a backlog so that we can ignore them for longer uh, sorry we're slow about that but please head over to polymedianetwork.com if you want to hear more podcasts from us or our crew we have tales of the lesser medium Petey's power hour and polykill who has uh, steve on it that we just referenced earlier in that listener question and he is also a co-host on the Indie Quest. So check them all out. And if you're not interested in sending an email, that's not a big deal. You can just not send us one. Or, and then you can just give us a rating and a review on a podcast app of your choice. If you do that, it'll help us out big time. But really, you should you should probably send us an email because we, we, we're running out. <laughs> and uh, you should just ask us, you know, like... Uh, what our what our favorite color is or something like yeah. that or or we can go into uh i don't know what what else can we talk about we can we can do some more 90s ass baseball names people love that. that we we do have a uh, an email chain going on right now adam, with adam swain. swain yes we we're going back and forth calling out uh dan pasqua jt snow you know all, all the all the greats ron kittle mm-hmm. cal daniels scotty erickson aaron seeley i mean yeah. it's it's a who's who of of that guy's for, uh, when it comes to baseball. <laughs> yes, and uh, let me tell you how great it is to also be logged into that account and see those notifications of just dude names. It is great. <laughs> you can find us all on social media. On Twitter, I'm at TravPlaysGames. Alex, he's over there at SNESDrunk. And, of course, you can find Pete Dorr at Pete Dorr, D-O-R-R. As always, the music you heard in the beginning and can hear right now is composed by our friend Coolor. The track you hear is called Electric Starbounce, and you can find a link to more of his music on the Buzzsprout podcast page and that's a shout out to Josh Leslie for our thirst quenching logo be sure to catch us all on YouTube and or Twitch in Pete's case and thanks for listening and we hope you have a great rest of your day (laughs) 